turn with me in your Bibles to the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to read a few verses from the life of a man, king of Israel, whose life did not end well. It started well, started with a pure heart, pure desire to be a ruler that was righteous in God's sight. But he didn't end well. So he penned the book under the aegis of the Holy Spirit. He penned the book of Ecclesiastes. And he refers to himself as the preacher. The third chapter is by far the most well-known in this particular book of Ecclesiastes. It became a popular song in the 60s. So let's begin to read at verse 1 of chapter 3, where the Bible says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to rend, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. And we'll stop there, that eighth verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I want to begin by saying to you, there is a great amount of wisdom in these verses. The music group Chicago wrote a song many years ago, 1970, does anybody really know what time it is? And this here tells us that everything in life is not equal. There's a time for this and then there's a time to stop doing this and so on, as we just read. But I gave this message an unusual title relative to the first eight verses of this chapter. And I have titled this message, Riding the Escalator of Life. And what's behind the title is the story, my story. I believe I was about 10 years old. A little younger, maybe a tiny bit older, but pretty young. I had what I would now call a vision, though I did not recognize it at the time as a vision. I didn't know Christ. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I never had a Bible. And I had a vision when I was 10. What I saw in this vision was an escalator, like you see in the malls or major department stores, first floor, second floor. And you could take stairs or you could take the escalator. Many, perhaps most, take the escalator. And in my vision, rather than just average shoppers riding up, there were people of all ages. At the bottom of the escalator were infants. I'm 10 years old. Infants, babies, then toddlers, and so on. And then in my vision, when I looked at the top of the escalator, there was old people just getting off. And all between the babies and the older people who were getting off at the top, I discerned this is life. Now, I remember being with my father, can't recall where, and I do recall that he was talking to somebody, and I can't recall who. But as the adults were talking, I just put in this word, 
And I said, you know, Dad, life is a lot like an escalator. There's people getting on at the bottom and there's people getting off at the top. And I remember distinctly that he was in a conversation, he was involved, he was vested in a conversation, and it took a few seconds for what I said to him to sink in. And as he was talking, then he said, wait a second, what did you just say? I said, well, life is like, I think the conversation had to do something with life. I said, life is like an escalator. There's people getting on at the bottom, they're just born, and there's people getting off at the top. And I remember my father's remark. I don't remember the specific words that he used, but I could tell that it really made an impact in his mind. I don't count that that wisdom came from me. I really don't. It wasn't just a precocious child coming up with these great ideas. It was just something that I saw at a very, very young age. Matter of fact, if I could just, as an aside, go a little further, I can remember being in the second grade, attending a Catholic mass at the school where I went for eight years, and hearing a voice speak to me, keeping in mind I knew nothing about the Bible, and I never owned the Bible until my grandmother gave me one some years later, still in my office. I remember hearing a voice speak to me and say, if you loved me, you would kneel through this whole mass. So I did. Had no idea where the voice came from, nor any idea what it meant, other than expressing love to God. And so I knelt through the entire Mass. I was the only one, second grade. And then the next day in school, the teacher, the sister, the nun that I had at the time made an illustration of it. You know, let me just say that there's so much I don't understand, not only about this book, but of course God in general. And having done some research on my ancestry and one of my uncles particularly did a lot of research on the Barnett side of my family and another a few others have done a lot of research on my mother's side of the family as far as I can see going back hundreds of years I'm the only preacher and I don't know why I have no reason to know that this is why God selected me but to go back to the story we are all riding the escalator of life and I shared with you earlier that I feel particularly blessed in many, many ways, more than people see, more than even my family sees. First of all, because God selected me when I did not know him. So I think it's accurate for us to always remember when we talk about we found Jesus, that he was never lost. He found us. He sought for us when we were lost. And I feel particularly blessed in many, many ways that are not seen not by anybody, only me. One of them is this, and one of the main ones is this. At a young age, well before I turned 20 years old, between seeing the vision of the escalator and a few other things that had occurred in my life when I was in my teens, that actually cut through my brain, so to speak, a canyon of the brevity of life, how short this life actually is, and to just get to the point of what it has done for me from a young age was to always remind me every single day, and that's not an exaggeration, make your life count. There's never a day that my thoughts don't run through this canyon of early experiences with God and with Satan as well, that I'm not reminded, make your life count. Now, just like many of you here, I did not pay much attention to older people when I was young that talked about how fast time goes. I did not believe some of the things that they talked about would happen to me, but some of them have 
However, I did know from an early age that this life is going to be brief and I must make my life count. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. One of the reasons that I feel particularly blessed, this is a testimony, is based on this expression, bene wicket, bene qui liquid, which literally translates into this. He lived well, he hid well. But what it means, as it's used by Ovid, the Roman poet, is that a life that is lived well is hid well. Meaning, for application, it's better to live a life of contemplation and of some measure of obscurity, I'm not talking about being a hermit, than to always be in the limelight and chasing after things that you cannot keep, such as money. Bene wicket, bene qui liquid. A life well lived is a life well hid. And God has always directed my steps, and again, I can't fathom precisely why. I'd be heading in this direction, it all looked good, and then all of a sudden, I find myself going this way. And then the next thing, this looks good, and then I'm redirected over here. And so the scripture says, and I'm not paying myself a compliment when I say this, just as for everybody, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I realize now that if I had set goals, as we are told and taught in seminars and motivational speeches and all this stuff, I'd probably be, well, at least less happy than I am, and in all probability, miserable. Because I would have discovered what many are discovering. Without Christ, there's nothing. Nothing. So I feel very blessed that God has ordained my life in such a way that I'm able to be useful to people, to preach the gospel, get the word of God out, and so on. And it happened to me just this week, somewhere, where somebody recognized my voice from radio. And so I told them that Radio has a distinct advantage, once again, for me. People know who I am, they know my voice, but they don't know what I look like. So I can walk around freely without being discovered. For you this morning, the main point that I want to get across to you, doesn't matter how old you are. And I'll tell you the truth, I take this so seriously and have all my life that if you are up in years and say it's too late for me, I would rebuke you, and probably sharply. Because that's just one more excuse in a whole long line of excuses of why you can't do this, and why you can't do this. I'm talking about Christ now. Today is all that we have. Yesterday's gone. What is your life? It's even the vapor that appears for a time, then vanishes away. But I learned that directly from the Lord at a very young age, before I had a Bible to read. Make your life count. Some of you I know have seen the movie Papillon, produced back in the early 70s. I saw the movie, but I also read the book. In the movie, they portray this one recurrent dream that Papillon had over and over again. As you know, if you know the movie or the book, he always claimed that he was innocent of killing this pimp, that he never killed anybody in his life, and that they set him up. That was his claim. And in the dream, he has this experience where he's appearing before a judge and a tribunal where they summon him up. The Papillon come forward and all this. And he immediately starts with his defense. I did not kill that man. I did not kill that man. I'm innocent. I've never killed anyone in my life. That's the defense that he begins with in the dream before the judge even tells him what he's calling him forward for. Then he says, that is not what we are calling you forward for. We are calling you forward for the worst crime any person can commit in humanity. 
Then he finds out what that crime is. We find you guilty of a wasted life. And in the movie, Fabian, played by Stephen Queen, he walks away saying, guilty, guilty. He spent 14 years on Devil's Island before he finally escaped. The tragedy of a wasted life. By the way, there is another way to waste your life. It's the way that Mary wasted the alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus. She breaks it open. She's washing his feet with her tears and her obviously long hair. She's drying his feet with her hair and breaks open this expensive jar of perfume of ointment to which Judas objected and then passed that along to a few other disciples that became disgruntled. And Judas says, or the disciples say, a few of them, to what point is this waste? Jesus reproves them. Judas, you know, he was a thief. He wasn't interested in what she was doing. He was interested in how much money they could have had in the coffers because he was stealing it, pilfering. But Jesus basically says, this was not a waste. She's anointing me for my burial. We celebrate every Sunday here. And what's really interesting is this, that Jesus says, this shall be written of her as memorial for her. For 2,000 years, we not only read about the great prophets and the apostles and Jesus himself, we read about this woman who wasted, in the eyes of the world, wasted her perfume on Jesus. I remember in my own experience having a man, well, young men, we were both young men at the time, I was sharing my testimony and how and why I came to Jesus and why I now played music for Jesus <clears throat> instead of singing secularly and other things. And he really got angry, or I should say he got really angry. And he said, you know, and this is a short period of time, I'm still very young. He says, you know, all that you've accomplished and you give it credit to some Jesus whom he didn't believe in. I mean, he didn't believe in God, he was an atheist. What you may not know is there's many people around you that could be related to you. They just may be friends, people you work with, that look at you in church, in a service that lasts, well, seemingly forever. From a dinosaur of a preacher who refuses to shorten things, to accommodate people so they can get in and get out. These people look at you and they say, maybe not to your face as it has happened to me, you're wasting your life. But remember the words of the missionary Jim Elliot who said this, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We're no fools. We're not fools to give away that which we can't keep anyway to gain that which we cannot lose, eternal life. Jesus. So there's two ways to waste your life. One is wasting it in the opinion of men who look at you and say you're wasting your gifts and you're wasting your talents and you're wasting, you know, your time. Then there's God's definition of a wasted life. A time to be born and a time to die. In one of the John Wayne movies, The Sons of Katie Elder, George Kennedy walks through the little gate there into the place where the funeral director has his carriage. And he asked him to come in the other way. He came, was he come in the wrong door. He says, your time will come soon enough to go out the other way. And your time will come. And my time will come. And as I explained the other night at the funeral, I don't know why God selects one, takes one and the other. I don't know. That's on God's calendar. I don't know. I know generally speaking, the book tells us people live between 70 and 80 years. And what's interesting to me is that no matter how much you pay attention to nutrition and exercise and so forth, you're still going to die within that range. I'm not saying to avoid it. I'm just simply saying 
that that's how it goes. There's a time appointed on God's calendar for you to say, or God to say, come. And I'm grateful and I'm blessed to have known this all my life. Why? So I didn't waste it. I have a habit of looking at my watch a lot. Not when I'm preaching, but a lot. Is it a nervous habit? Am I obsessively composed with time? Well, in one manner speaking, yes, because time is all that we have. And a wasted life is really nothing more than a collection of wasted days. Let me hasten to say something here, too. Taking your proper rest, getting your proper sleep and nutrition, that's not all a waste. It's all good. It's actually part of the book here. But I'm just talking about in general, to know your purpose. And if you say to me, or worse to say to me, well, I don't know what my gifts and all that stuff, that's not what I'm saying now. Your purpose is in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed into the image of his son. That's the purpose for all of us. That's why we see good and bad or good and evil in our lives. For every one of us. And I did explain just this past week to those that were at the funeral. My philosophy of life. Number one, life is tough. People seem to think that their life is tough, other people's lives are not tough. But I can tell you, everyone in this room, everyone watching the live stream, everyone listening to the radio ministry, they find life is tough. Always has been since the fall of man. My philosophy is twofold. Number one, life is tough. But with faith in God, number two, he always shows up. And he always will deliver. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but... The Lord delivers him, her, out of them all. Many are the afflictions we say, ah, the preacher on TV said, if I just believe in the Lord, look how great life is. I'll enjoy my best life now. Me, I'm going to defer. Because if this is my best life now, and I've accomplished some things in my life, well, heaven would pale in significance. I think I'll defer knowing that my best life is yet to come. Amen. And not waste my life on things that don't matter. What difference does it make the size of your home? You can come to me and say, look at my home. It's bigger and nicer than yours. And you know what I'm going to say? I don't care. <laughs> but the truth is that I really don't care. It's not a fake I don't care. Go home and say, you see what they got in their kitchen? I don't care what you have in your kitchen. Well, not you. I don't care what people have in their kitchen. I don't care how many acres they have. I don't care about those things. They don't last. They don't last. This is fool's gold. And it's a waste of a life. And the only proper way to waste your life is to waste it on Jesus. We are all riding the escalator of life. You got on at a certain point, and you're going to get off at a certain point, and only God really knows at what point you're going to get off. And after this, the Bible says, is the judgment. We stand before, in a manner of speaking, like Papillon in his dream, we stand before a tribunal, and the question is asked by Jesus himself, what did you do with your life? And you don't want your life in front of Jesus. You're not going to lie, you could lie to me. You're not going to lie before him and say, well, you know, that may pass with me, because I don't have an answer, perhaps, or I just don't feel like answering it. But it won't pass before the burning eyes of Jesus. What did you do with your life, your whole life? 
I started to say that a wasted life is simply a collection of wasted days. And the more days that you waste, it adds up to a wasted life. And I, once again, let me just say it one more time, I feel very, very blessed that God contacted me at a young age, showed me what life could be if I went that way or that way. And I'm so glad that when Jesus said, follow me, I did. Relative to what I said just a moment before, bene wicked, bene qui latuit. A life well lived is a life well hid. Does not mean you run and hide. It means that in the mercy of God, you know what your priorities are and you accent them. That you know that the limelight doesn't last forever. One day you're the hero, the next day you're the villain. That's the whimsical, capricious nature of man. And you're not looking for their approval or their support. And may I go one step further and say to you that when you're following Jesus, you're not even looking for the approval of your own family. Now, that's what Jesus taught. You're not looking for the approval of anyone you're looking to be approved by God. Our faith was not designed to please people. It was designed to please God. Now, relative to that, all these years, I find myself in ministry, not in the places of the high and the mighty, not in the places of the most clever preachers and pastors and committees and all these things that they do that can be seen macroscopically with the eye. But what no one can see is microscopically in the spirit. I met a young man from Tennessee, born and raised. He's moving up here. He's been on mission trips. I don't know what his ambitions are, if any, towards the ministry in general. But he's moving up this way because his wife is from the area. And I was saying to him, just keep in mind that this is not Tennessee. It's not Florida and Georgia and Texas and Oklahoma. We're in this great Northeast, which in many ways is great, but not when it comes to preaching the gospel. And he said this to me, which I thought was very insightful. He's from Tennessee. He said, yeah, pastor, he says, they got big, big churches and lots of people in them. He said, but right after the service, they all go out and live any way they want. Well, I kind of already knew that. It was nice to hear it coming from somebody else. Listen to the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said something here that has application. He said, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. But I would amend that to say, to follow Christ with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength in a world that's always trying to change you and alter you to be what they think you should be. That's the greatest accomplishment in the world, just to keep following Jesus right to the end. If a life well lived is a life well hid, then we have something here for us in Colossians 3. Beginning at verse 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I was asked not that long ago, and I'm going to use an illustration here as well. You know, how did God open all these doors for me? You know, to get in prison for seven years. Not to get in prison. Uh, that's easy to do. Prison ministry. And then, when I had my long-standing dispute with my former denomination, and I stood before that tribunal... One of the elders said to me, do you know what this meeting's all about? So I'm only as stupid as I pretend to be, as I want to be. And I said, no, what is this meeting all about? He said, it's about those credentials that you have in your wallet that can open doors of ministry. 
My answer then and my answer now is that this particular card, now this is not the same one, it's a different one, has never once opened a door for me, ever. Not even once. You know what has opened doors for me? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The power of God. What is this nonsense? This little, little card opens doors. I don't need a card. I don't need a clerical collar. I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. People need to know. You're the real deal in Jesus. And God sends you. And when God makes an order, no one can countermand that order. Amen. No one. Now I like to tell you and remind you, from you folks that are from this area, that God sent me here as your gift. <laughs> you and the woodchucks and whatever else is running around here. It's not much people. I came from the New York City area. My first church was in the Bronx. More people than woodchucks. More people than deer and everything else that we have up here. But this is where God sent me for his purpose. I have not wasted my gifts. I have not wasted my talent. I have not wasted my intellect. Because this is where God wants me. Because he kept me well hid. And even at this morning, only you can see me. I'm invisible to everybody else. Oh, have I had opportunities to go other places? Sure, yeah. I was offered one of the largest churches in the Bronx some years back. Was that a temptation to some degree? You talk about musicians, brass, pianos, more than one, guitars, singers, big choir, everybody making joyful noise to the Lord, multiple services. The church was offered to me. I turned it down. Why? Am I one of those men who are afraid of success? No. I'm just afraid of being in the wrong place where God didn't send me. Jonah did that. And he found himself in the aquarium. <laughs> Swallowed up by a big, whatever it was, but we'll say a whale, and then, here's why I want you. I don't want God spitting me up on the shores of Amsterdam. <laughs> I'd rather come here willingly, voluntarily. Either way, I still wind up there on the Mohawk River and you'd be dragging me out. <laughs> Don't waste your life. You're riding the escalator of life and you're going to get off and you don't want to look Jesus in the eye with a lot of excuses that once again may pass with men. We have compassion. We have limited knowledge. We say, oh yeah, I, I feel for you. You want to stand before Jesus at attention and say, as the Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Now henceforth, he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not unto me only, but unto all them that do love his appearance. I remember hearing, relative to my own calling, I remember Billy Graham saying this one time. I think it was in his biography, and I read it. Now, Billy Graham has reached more people in the 20th century than thousands and thousands of people combined. Yet he, when he thought it through, maybe he was asked, but he thought it through. He said, if I had had my way, I would have been a preacher in a small country church. You see, life really is about perspective. It's about how you see things. For example, in the biography of the great-grandson of John Adams, President John Adams, and then his son, John Quincy Adams, who also had a son. John Quincy Adams' son's was, name was Charles Francis Adams. Now, Charles also had a son, and his name was Brooke. And they both had diaries, Charles Francis Adams and Brooke Adams. And this is perspective, how people see the day differently. 
It is told that Charles Francis Adams wrote in his diary these words. Went fishing today with my son. Day wasted. Interestingly, in the diary of Brooke Adams, his son, on the same day, he had an entry in his diary. And the words said this. Went fishing today with my father. The best day ever. Life is a matter of perspective. You see in the email I send you each week, Sunday is the best day of the week. Well, you could say, well, that's Pastor Ray's attempt at some real clever advertising. And look how well it's worked. <laughs> but in my mind, it is the best day of the week. Yeah. We get to sing, I get to play instruments and sing as well as you and preach and teach. And then, you know, you go home and rest up because it's the Lord's day. And it's special. It's holy. It's different than the other six. And should be treated so. Otherwise, you're going to waste your life. I'm not here to judge people who text me why they can't get to church and all that. Church meetings, I mean. And I understand the philosophy of, well, God still knows and I'm safe. Yeah, okay, all right. But it's still the Lord's day. And he still says, so forsake the assembling of yourselves one to another. That's what he said to do. Well, there's times when we can't help it, but that's an exception to the rule. So how do you live your day? How do you see your day? When fishing with my son, day wasted. The son says, when fishing with my dad, best day ever. Look with me at the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. After going through one scenario of life after another, experienced by Solomon, where he constantly says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In one place in the Bible, it says this man in his best state is altogether vanity. You ever see pictures of these beautiful or handsome actresses and actors? I see them today. Kind of an illustration always reminds me. Flesh is going to be corrupted right to the grave. But Christ will renew it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 12 it says this. And further by these my son be admonished. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon ended up his life with that wisdom. This is the whole conclusion of what he experienced. A thousand wives. Imagine. A thousand wives. All telling him about the cracks in the driveway, and the garbage didn't go out, and this needs to be painted. Well, that wasn't wise. But what was even worse is that those women, thousand women, turned his heart to other gods. But then he realized, I guess, uh, evidently from this book, he, he realized his, his error. When I was studying to be an x-ray technician, the two years that I was in school, it was a lot of work. We went to school Monday, Wednesday, Friday to classes that went from 8 until 4. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we were in clinical in the hospital from 8 till 4. So that's a full week, more than most put in college. Unlike nursing, respiratory therapy, and others, we went to the hospital clinical all summer long because we needed more clinical hours than nurses and respiratory therapists. Near the end of the program, my wife and I were just born again when I joined the radiology program. And I was just getting tired, just getting tired of studying these things and not having time for the Bible. 
So I remember praying, said, Lord, I'm just so tired, and I'm neglecting the Bible. Not that I wasn't reading it, but not the way I wanted to. And the Lord, you know, for you younger Christians, this is not recommended. Lord, speak to me. And you flip with your hands. And Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> oh, God, what else? <laughs> Go and do likewise. It's not the way to read the Bible. But there are occasions when something providential does happen and happened to me. I just opened up the Bible to a random page and it came to this verse, the 12th verse, and further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end and much study is a weariness to the flesh. And from that day to this, I've never forgotten that principle. Sometimes when I'm very tired, I think about the hours I put in contemplating, meditating, reading, memorizing, and so on. In addition to everything else, these are the lessons we learn. In Hebrews 9:27, it says this, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Keep that in mind. Thankfully, with Christ, it's not a judgment to eternal damnation, but still a judgment on your life. And once again, let me reiterate, the way you want to enter heaven is that everything is squared away. And for those of you who have military background, that you're able to stand before the Lord and not be ashamed. You don't want to stand this way. Someone once got angry with me for saying something like this, and he was very angry. Remember the church years ago said, I am not a second-class citizen, and you're not going to make me feel like a second-class citizen, which I really wasn't trying to say that. But the truth of it was his life didn't line up very much with the book. He was convicted. He was convicted not by me, but by the Holy Spirit. One of the signs that, you know, doctors have all these instruments that they use, blood pressure and so on, blood tests. And one of the signs of a preacher is when someone says, you know, I felt like he was speaking just to me. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Man cannot duplicate that. Amen. You cannot make this person alone hear what everybody's hearing. But yet it's so personal. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So don't waste your life and don't waste a day. When it's time for prayer, pray. When it's time to read, read. When you feel the unction and so on, you go with it so that you can waste your life, so to speak, on Jesus and get used to rejection from other professing Christians. I'm not even judging their salvation. I'm not saying that they're not Christians. I'm just saying that when you're full out in anything, you're always going to meet people who are not. And they're always going to have some reason why you're not, because they're not doing what you're doing. Full out, all the way in. I can say to you, yes, we're saved by grace and so on. But I can say to you that most people don't want to be full in because the price is very high. But for me, having had these visions and insights from a child, I know that this life is going fast, faster than I ever imagined. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I have that in a little tiny frame, about that big. It was given to me by a man 35 years ago. This man now, from what I understand, is not doing too well. He's, he's born again. And he's probably very close to eternity himself. And I know, because I was his pastor, some of the mistakes that he's made in his life. And I think to myself, I actually thought about sending it back to him. But I didn't want to insult him, so I never did. And I left it there in my library where it sits. Every so often, I just remind myself, only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Time is something we feel we never have enough of. But someone says, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. 
I'd rather use the word invest. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you can never get it back. This is another bit of wisdom that the Lord has shown me. Yesterday, we had a birthday party for one of my granddaughters. And with 13 grandkids, it seems like we're having a birthday party every month. And I must say to you, at this stage of life, with the various things that go on in an older person's body, you can say, well, I'm a little tired today. But I never forget this. And don't you ever forget this. You don't get these moments back. And I always keep that in my mind, especially when I'm with family, others as well. You don't get this moment back. Einstein believed that time was flowing like a river. Newton believed it was like an arrow, which seems to me to line up more with the Bible. Once it was released, it just goes straight to its destination. And then we have the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy, that things are wearing down, and that we know. But in any case, as time moves along in your life, you don't get it back. Now, you're going to make mistakes and fail at things we all do. That's how we learn. We may say that some of those things are not preventable. But for you younger people, learn a lesson. Talk to older people. Solomon's son had two courts of advisors. One were the old guys that knew something. They no doubt had white beards. It's always a symbol of wisdom. And they gave him wise counsel. He says, We're gonna, I'm going to ease your burden for my father. The young men said, you know what? You go tell them that my pinky will be thicker than my father's waist. And it did not work out well. Why? And young people, please don't get mad at me. You don't know much. You've not been there yet. Those of us who are older have lived. And we've made the mistakes. And it may be say that we made the mistakes so you don't have to. In any case, for all of us, the book was written of people like Solomon and others who sinned and made mistakes so that we don't. And that's what the scriptures say. It's written for our exhortation that we would learn from them and say, whoa, don't do that. Don't waste your life. You're riding the escalator of life. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I'm going to give you this verse, read it to you, and tell you what I did with it years ago. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. That alone tells us we've got a lot to learn. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Many years ago when I read that verse, or those two verses, I wanted to use a memory aid to remember. My thinking and God's thinking are not the same. So line up your thinking with the book, is what I said. So what I did is I took my watch, and I took it off, and instead of having it this way, the correct way to read the time, I put my watch on upside down. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month. I did it for years and years and years and years and years, decades. One day I was at a minister's meeting, and somebody asked me, what time is it? So I looked at my watch, which was upside down, I said, it was 11.30. And he caught that. He says, please do not tell me you just read that. I said, yeah, I always wear my watch upside down. I gave him this verse. I'm not saying that you should do it. I had a friend of mine, an evangelist, who mildly reprimanded me when he went into my library because all my books, theological, secular, whatever, were standing upright and all my Bibles were upside down. He thought this was a sign of disrespect, but it wasn't. It was a sign of the fact that God came down to the earth to dirt and clay and sin and also of this verse here. That when you're reading the book, 
is coming from this way down. And Christ came from this way down and became like you, became like me, became a man. And in essence, we could say one of the lessons we learn from Jesus, don't waste your life. You're riding the escalator of life. At some point you got on and at some point you will get off. And here's my understanding of death. I've not been there. My understanding of death is that nobody expects it to happen when it does. Well, you say that's not true. People have terminal illnesses. Correct. But they may be given six months to live, three months to live, whatever. But it's on the day that you actually die. This is a personal belief. I don't know that it's exactly true. I've not been there. I believe that you're not expecting it when the clock hits a certain minute, on a certain second, the heart stops beating. Five billion beats in the average person's lifetime. That's how many times your heart's going to beat. Five billion. And then there's one that God says, this is the last. And life is gone. And you can't get it back. It's the one thing about time. Once it's lost, it's gone. You can't retrieve it like words. Once they're out of your mouth, you can't get them back. You can't take them back. So I wore my watch upside down for decades, and I don't recall why I gave the habit up, but I did, and I did it for 30, 40 years. I always put my watch on backwards. But that was to remind me of what I knew and was shared with when I was young, young man. Don't waste your life. What do you do today if you're older? I mentioned it briefly before, but let me say it again. Don't make excuses. Well, I'm old, I wasted my life. Stop, just stop. If you have a year left, two years, 10 years left, now turn it around. Sure, you're not young, you're not gonna have 50 years, 60 years, but then again, some young people don't and they think they do. How many funerals have I done for young, young people who thought they're gonna live to be whatever, and they didn't? Because we don't know. We don't know when we're gonna hear that voice saying, come up here. And it's all over. What's done cannot be undone. What was supposed to be done now cannot be done. You're on the escalator of life. And at some point you will get off. But let me say this to you. If you're confident in Jesus, wouldn't we want to be able to say that we're looking forward to that day? That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Well, you already know I think about death quite a lot. Something I posted on social media some months ago, a year or so maybe, is another philosophy all tied into the original stories I told you in the beginning. I've always looked at life backward. So what do you mean? I don't look at life the way most people look at life this day, that week, that day, that year. I look at it from the grave. That is a certainty I'm going to be there. And I count my life backward so I don't waste it. Because it's a certainty. If Christ doesn't return, somewhere, and I assume it's going to be around here, there's going to be a little monument that will have my name on it. And my life will have been finished. But for me and for you to be cares old past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Amen. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Amen. One more charge. One more time. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land where we will never grow old. And someday, yonder, we will never more wander. But walk on streets as pure as gold. Let me finish today with this illustration of life from somebody who I can say I did admire, to some degree I did, the great martial artist Bruce Lee. His philosophy was to absorb from others what they have learned and written and discard that which does not belong to you 
and then add to your own philosophy that which is unique to you. Absorb, discard, and then add. That was his philosophy. And with no intentional disrespect to Bruce Lee, to this day he's very popular. And you see some of the things that he's done, it's pretty amazing. I saw a young Asian boy juggling three Rubik's Cubes and resolving them with each turn that they came down. It was interesting, it was fascinating, but I wouldn't want to build my life on that. Anyway, Bruce Lee had this philosophy, and he's admired to this very day for many, many things. But for me, I always remind myself, how old was he when he died? 32. Injured his back very bad. If I remember correctly, it was from some type of weight routine. But he injured his back, he was on painkillers, went to Hong Kong, he was filming a movie, and Chuck Norris tells the story of a woman who traveled with him at that time named Betty, who when he was having some issues, some other issues, she gave him an antibiotic that mixed with the painkillers in a bad way. The swelling of the brain, aneurysm, and so on. That's what Chuck Norris states. But it's interesting when you read about conspiracies and the Chinese trying to get him for revealing gung fu, all this stuff. Because that's what people like to read. But the one thing they cannot deny is that he was 32 years old. Jimi Hendrix was 27 years old. Janis Joplin was 27 years old. And so on. Many of these drug addicts in the bodybuilding world die very young ages, relatively young ages, from heart disease, cancer. For what? It's a wasted life, in my view. And I'm not saying Bruce Lee's life was wasted. I'm just saying these philosophies are nice. But his life was very brief. Then, of course, the tragedy of his son. But you have Jesus. You have the book. Do you get up and read it each day? Do you apply what is in it? Do you pray? Do you fellowship? That's the way the world sees us as wasting our life and wasting our time. But it's not the way God sees it. Because his thoughts are not your thoughts. And his ways are not your ways or my ways. Keep this in mind. You're riding the escalator of life. At some point you will get off. Just be in a position that when you get off, you're glad to get off, saying, I have fought a good fight. I kept the faith. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today. We do not want to be like Papillon. We don't want to be judged as having been guilty of a wasted life. However, we do want to be found guilty of wasting our life on you, for you, in service to you, in prayer to you, in fellowship with other brethren. Father God, we bless you and praise you and give you all the glory and all the honor. I pray today for my friends that are sitting here, those that are watching in the live stream and those that are listening on the radio, that they would take to heart the truth that they are riding the escalator of life. At some point, they will get off. And it could be sooner than imagined or planned. But either way, we all get on, we all get off. Help my friends not to waste their time and waste their days. To make them count, help them, God. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your strength and your grace, O oh God. That having done all in the evil day, we'll still be standing. Having done all, we will still be standing. We bless you, God. Help us to be soul winners. Examples that people want to know. Where do you get your strength? Where do you get this wisdom? Where do you get this? And we can point them to Jesus. Or as the scriptures say, people will take note they had been with Jesus. Today, God, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Once again, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. We just give you the praise. Father, we thank you. We've just passed another mile marker to eternity. 18 years in this building, another 18 I've spent in other buildings in this city. 
Another 10 in New York in service to you. And it's gone quick. And soon I'll get off the escalator somewhere. Help me and all my friends here and all that are listening and watching to be able to get off the escalator with joy, saying I have finished my course, kept the faith. This week, Lord, remind us to love you not just a little, but with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength, and help us not to neglect to love one another. And we'll give you all the praise, we'll give you all the glory, and we'll give you all the honor, Father, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Amen. Amen.